Life is often so busy, taking us here, there, seemingly everywhere. When you are unable to make it to church, we hope you are fed and nourished by listening to the preaching of God's Word wherever you are at the moment. In the meantime, take care and God bless. Good evening and welcome to our Ash Wednesday 7 p.m. service. As the Joel reading indicates, return uh, to the Lord. And I very much love seeing the faces, the participants, those who are here in the sanctuary, and of course those who are online as we're returning in these these new and and good ways together, slowly but surely, uh, carefully um, together again. Welcome as we gather here on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday, a day that is different. It's not like a Sunday morning uh, when we're in our weekend routine or ritual, is it? It's a different day. There's something within our our foundation or our DNA that says, got to get to church uh, here on Ash Wednesday. It's a special day. It's a special um, occasion. Maybe it's not the major festival like Christmas and Easter is, but it's a, what we would say in the church, a lesser festival, but a festival uh, nonetheless. It's a, a special night with some rich meanings that we will and I will draw out um, even more so here with you this evening. When I became more and more involved in the church, growing up in the church, but then studying at the seminary, I learned that Psalm 51 is the psalm that is assigned most traditionally for Ash Wednesday because of the themes, because of what it says and what it helps us say, because the Bible really helps us say sometimes things that we can't say perhaps ourselves, or it helps put words into our mouths, into our minds, into our hearts to allow it to be um, expressed. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity, thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. The themes that we see here of steadfast love, but also of transgressions, of iniquities and of sinfulness in that first part of Psalm 51. And then, of course, promise that you're not alone, that God loves and forgives. Ash Wednesday has these rich themes. Because we put these ashes on our foreheads, who'd thought of that? But it's biblical, it's traditional. It's what we Christians have been doing for centuries, I mean centuries, to remember this this theme um, of repentance, of penitence, of turning back to God and of our ultimate mortality, that we're just a blip on the radar in the midst of the scheme of things, of life and of generations. Remember that you are dust, we say, as, as we come forward here in a little bit that we shall all return to dust. We shall die, we shall return to dust. That is how it all started. Some very, very 
big words on a day like Ash Wednesday. It is a sobering and a sullen day. A day when we gather around these themes, when we come together to hear these words, when we depart here as well and make our way out into the night, do we go into the fellowship hall for donuts and coffee and and laughter and good energy? We don't do that on Ash Wednesday. We will say hi to each other on the way out and smile and be a little bit sheepish, but it's not a night to celebrate. It's a night of these other realities. And the need also for us to be reassured. That the need that we have for God's promises is why we gather here on Ash Wednesday. How important it is that in the midst of all of those themes that you see on the screen, um, that we are reassured by God and by God's promises. Now, one of the things, as we as pastors and all of us as faithful people are called to be about is to see the world through what we know in our faith, what we read in our Bibles, what we learn about in church, and have a newspaper in our hands at the same time and try to bring those two things together here and how it is that we live out faith and and understanding um, in our daily lives. And so I do that and try to practice that um, as well. How good are we at this process? of wedding those two things together. How good are we in the process of also thinking about the themes of this night of of the sinfulness, of the iniquities, of the transgressions, of the needs that we have for God's love and God's comfort and grace. How good are we at admitting these things, of being humble to say that I need these things, Lord. I need you. How good are we at this? Sometimes we're good, sometimes though maybe we're not. But I look at the world and these experiences and I wonder if we can glean some from our culture. You recognize this picture probably of Simone Biles who was an Olympian a few years ago. In fact, she's won over 20 gold medals if you count Olympic golds or or world uh, competitions. She's one of our most decorated female gymnasts um, in our nation's uh, history, if not the most decorated. Do you remember when she was a gymnast on the team in Beijing, the last Summer Olympics? And do you remember uh, when she got the twisties? She got the twisties, so she came uh, to the Olympics, or during the Olympics, her nerves got the better of her, and she was dealing with the twisties, where where she would, for instance, with the vault, she would sprint down and then jump off the horse and then would go twirling up in the air, but in her mind, she would lose her place, and and it got into her head, and, and she withdrew from the competition. And I can remember when there was commentators who would say uh, in that time uh, and in that space, uh, why didn't Simone Biles understand that she was having the twisty so that she could invite another young woman to compete on our behalf uh, because we Americans take gymnastics seriously and we wanna win golds. She had a weakness that she didn't admit. Why didn't she do that? let us know that she couldn't perform. Do you remember that? Just from a few years ago. Even more recently, there was a woman by the name of Naomi Osaka, Japanese tennis player, number one ranking in the world. 
She made her way through Wimbledon, won that tournament, won another one as well, and she was all set to be this terrific champion athlete, but she's very soft-spoken. And all this media and all the pressure of being number one in the world, she started missing practices and then didn't show up for tournaments and was getting fined because she was supposed to be there. And then she took some time off to see a therapist, get gathered in together and get an understanding of things. And then now she's back playing tennis. I think she's ranked in the 80th, in the 80s somewhere. So she's not number one anymore, but she was dealing with something. Now, both the Simone Biles and the, uh, and the Naomi Osaka uh, references that I thought of this week, uh, really the main one was what happened a couple weeks ago with this young athlete, American athlete, Michaela Schifrin. Maybe you were following the Olympics sporadically on and off like Michelle and I and the boys were. She's one of our champion downhill skiers. She's won gold already at Olympics too and a lot of world, world uh, medals um, as well. And here she was competing in five downhill races, the Super Solemn and the G, you know, all the different competitions. I can't keep track of all of them. So she went out of the gate and you know, she stay, she's supposed to stay between those barriers then as she navigates down, uh, d- down the course. And she missed one right at the top of the hill. The next day was her next race. She got through one gate and she missed the next, the second one. And then she skied over to the side of the race front and she collapsed there, uh, sitting with her head against her knees. And that picture, that I, we don't have permission to show that picture, but this is at least uh, Michaela uh, in another picture. She sat there in failure. She skied down the rest of the slope to the interview cameras that awaited for her. And how did Michaela Schifrin respond, but in a Michaela Schifrin kind of way? You might expect a world-class athlete to have all those cliches. Well, I guess I'll ski tomorrow, or it wasn't my day today. But Michaela wears her emotions in her heart, and even these failures on her sleeve. And she said, I failed myself and I, and I, I failed my team. I, I could have done better, she's weeping. Did you see this? She was on the camera for a long time and just went on and on about how she was feeling. And then after she got off and the interviewer there on the, on the slopes, I said, thank you, Michaela, and she got, made, her, made her way. Mike Tirico, the Olympics NBC host, came on the line, and he had some interesting and rather profound words to share. I don't think of, of Mike Tirico as being the major social commentator that I follow. Uh, you know, I don't tune in to, uh, to him for advice or counsel on society, but he was quite profound when he said, Michaela Schifrin, she leads with her heart, and you'll always know how she's feeling, number one. And then number two, he said, maybe this generation is going to teach us a little bit more about vulnerability. Saying that maybe my generation needs to learn a little bit more about what it means to be vulnerable. And know that we're not perfect. And that we do fail. 
We fail on the ski slopes, we fail on the tennis courts, we fail um, on, uh, in any number of a host of ways. Uh, but this generation, maybe this generation that's undergone two years of a pandemic is gonna help us understand that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to maybe have a mental health issue. It's not a faux pas anymore. But Michaela just let it all hang out for the world to see. How good are we at all this? How much are we learning? Why is it so hard to say I failed? Why is it so hard to say I need help? And of course, on Ash Wednesday, where's God? Ashes on our heads. Statements of iniquity and sin and failure and I'm just not good enough. The intersection of life and faith, you know, happens here. It happens not at St. Andrew, but happens here. And we're getting a little bit better at it. I think we are. Because God is in the restoration business. Can you say that aloud with me? God is in the restoration business. That's also why you're here. You wouldn't come back to St. Andrew or any church if all we talked about was sin and iniquities and transgressions. Because this is a place of promise. This is a place where love abounds and abides and is real in our Savior who does just that. Jesus saves us. God is in the restoration business. We're used to this language. We're used to seeing this in different ways, different shapes um, and forms. My neighbor next door to me, his name is Peter also. Um, he has a, a 1960s Dodge Dart. Now this is not a Dodge Dart, this is a Cadillac, someone told me after the noon service. I don't have a picture of a Dodge, Dodge Dart. I don't know what era of a Dodge Dart he has or what they looked like in the 60s, but Peter loves his Dodge Dart and he's restored it some. He and his wife drove it down Route 66. It was a, one of those you know, bucket list kinds of things um, that they did. But doggone it, the sunroof leaks and it drips oil in his garage. But he loves this car, right? We love things that aren't perfect. It's nostalgic. Helps him live back in the 60s, I think and I still hear it rumbling when he's backing it out of the driveway in my house as he's making his way. We know these images. My mom was visiting this past weekend and she came off the airplane and she said, you know, Peter, uh, your niece uh, wants holy jeans. What's up with holy jeans, she said. And I, and I had to remind her, I said, you know, she's not the first teenager that likes holy jeans. That's happened a long time before our current generation likes fashion. These are not perfect jeans. You can buy them with holes in them. Before I wore them and I would wear my own holes in the jeans and then I would wear them. But now you can buy them with holes in them already, but they're not perfect, but they're fashionable. It's okay that they have holes in them. Way back when I got married, uh, Michelle introduced me to the concept of wood, like for doors or furniture or tables that is distressed. 
You know, the distressed patterns that are in wood, like someone took a, you know, a hammer or something and made a nice, great looking piece of wood, but scuffed it up and then put some varnish on it and, and put a big price tag on it. It's distressed furniture. But we love distressed furniture. It's hip. It's it's in. Barn doors turned into desktops are the rage, right? It's okay that it's distressed. You know I'm talking about God also. I'm talking about Ash Wednesday. I'm talking about promise. I'm talking about hope. I'm talking about the presence um, of God. Because God loves us too, even though we're distressed. So an image that also came to mind too was also from my father, and my mom was here this past weekend, so I had a chance to visit with her about this. My dad was a Lutheran pastor. I was raised in the church, and I saw him, of course, leading worship in in all the congregations that we served, and he had this pattern uh, when he was, came to the time of the prayers of the people. You know how in a little bit we'll be offering the prayers of the people as well. But on special days, and my mom and I were trying to remember, on special days, a dad would not stand behind the altar and pray in the normal fashion of standing up and, and doing this position like this and, and offering the prayers of the people with all this authority and presence. Dad would kneel at the altar rail in those churches in a humble position. Back turned to the congregation in the place where everyone just kneels, just kneels to receive the bread and the wine of forgiveness. And he'd have his piece of paper there and he'd be reading the prayers of the people from that very humble place. And I guess I just wonder how good are we at humble kneeling? It's okay to be humble and okay to kneel. Because we also believe in Jesus. And there were many people who were humbled in his ministry. You remember? Many people were humbled that were in a state, in a certain circumstance, in a condition in which they were down and out, they were distressed. They leaked oil. You know what I mean? Stand up to a person who is an invalid, take up your mat and walk. Because why? Because our God is in a restoration business. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam to a 37-year invalid. Go into the pool. It will make you whole again because God is the God of restoration. Be open, someone who was deaf, who couldn't hear and had a speech impediment. It was probably easy to be made fun of back in those days, let alone today. But be opened and be normal again and be loved and know that you are, are loved because our God is a God of restoration. Lazarus, come out of that tomb. We have ashes on our forehead and we, we will say, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return which means that we shall all die. But Jesus also said, Lazarus, come out of that tomb and live again. It makes a huge difference for those of us who are mourning the loss of loved ones or are facing death ourselves. 
That's the promise of God on Ash Wednesday for all of us. So the sermon title is, The Lord is My Shepherd Who Provides. Who Provides Restoration and Fullness of Life. You recognize this acronym from many years ago? What you see is what you get. WYSIWYG. Does that ring a bell? Way back when computers were big, chunky things on desks, the WYSIWYG was that micro, that, that uh, uh, computer software where you actually could see how the document was going to print on the printer rather than just the typewriter, you know, the different, it was a WYSIWYG. It was what you see is what you get. And what I am trying to say here tonight is that what we see and who we think of ourselves is not all that you get. Because God is the God of restoration, of wholeness, and of healing. And it claims us. It's ours to inherit. So our God is our provider. The Lord is our shepherd and our provider. And and during these days of Lent, when we gather together on Wednesday nights, we'll be looking at Psalm 23. And we will hear words like, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Is that an Ash Wednesday message or what? I'm walking through death, but you are accompanying me. You prepare a table before me like a feast in the presence of my enemies. That's an Ash Wednesday message. A feast is prepared, but there are things amok but a feast is there. We'll continue our worship on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, but really, ultimately, we'll continue to be the people of God on Ash Wednesday. We're sinners, but we're loved because our God is a God of restoration. And we gather here for the ashes, but we gather here for hope that God has the final say now and always. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope you found this week's message helpful as you think about how you will live out your faith each day. If you would like to support the ministries at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, you can do so by having your credit card information available and then texting a gift to 952-260-9007. Thank you and God bless.